0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. One of my favorite stories in the scripture I I like telling in reverse. I like to start towards the end and then tell it backwards because of the, uh, the surprises along the way. So, keeping in the tradition of memento, let me show you my tattoos. Now, uh, keeping in the tradition of, boy, you would run out of here in horror. You would just be shrieking. You don't have to be clever to do this. Just be willing to make a fool of yourself. Go to the back of your Bibles. Those of you who have a Bible, go to the back. And what I want you to do is find the map that says uh, Israel in the time of, of uh, Jesus or Palestine in the time of Jesus, something like that. You'll see an area about the middle. It'll say Decapolis. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It's not really major. You know, it's just, this is the way I tend to um, read the scriptures. I, I've been a student of the scriptures for, um, gosh, I was 16, so that makes it four years now. Um, uh, gosh, it's almost 40 years. It's 35 years. Good Lord. So I tend to read now um, with maps and history books, like what was happening in the time that these things were written. So I want to tell you that that area of Decapolis is an area that cuts Israel in half almost. The Decapolis is two words. It's uh, based on Deca, which means ten, and polis, which means city. So like, for example, we have a decimal for a system based on the number ten, um, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, December, the tenth month. Some of you think it's the twelfth month, right? It's actually the tenth month because July and August were added in by Julius Caesar and uh, Caesar Augustus to create. That's why September, which is not the ninth, Septua is seventh. Right? You guys know that from how many? Of you, how many of you go to Biola? Willing to admit it? Okay, all of you, welcome. Uh, the Septuagint. Why is it called the Septuagint? 70 translators, 70 days. I think that's the seventh thing. So uh, December was the 10th month, and if you go back in Latin, you see the numbers are that way. So July and August were added in. By the way, uh, what was Augustus' name prior to Caesar Augustus? Octavia. Yeah, yeah, my parents named me Octavio Caesar. They really had high hopes for me. And I've been a crushing disappointment. I, and you know what? My father played sports, too. So, you know, when I was in ballet as a child, he must have been crying in his pillow every night, you know? Um, first position. So, at any rate, um, so, and then polis is uh, it's something to do with cities, like, you know, cosmopolitan, metropolitan. Okay, so, the, the, the Decapolis, and some of your Bibles may actually say 10 cities. All right? Now, that's critical because when Jesus comes into the culture, you have a highly textured, rich you know, developed culture. It's not just Jesus, disciples, and Pharisees. Because that's how we read the scripture. They're very felt board, very two-dimensional figures. So you have a a strong Greek presence with their architecture. It's rich in poetry and literature and music and theater. And some of their plays bordered on the pornographic. So no self-respecting Jew would attend Greek plays. Then you have an area like... um, you have the, the, the occupiers, so the Romans, right? The Italians with the big mustache is really cool. Um, and, and then you have, uh, you have a, a strong religious group known as Pharisees that, that, that held on to the traditions. Not, not everybody was bad. You know, they, kept, they get a lot of boo hiss in the scriptures, but in some cases, they were, they were decent men who wanted to do the right thing, but they were you know, oftentimes trapped in their traditions. And you have a more aristocratic group, maybe more educated group known as the uh, a Sadducees. You have a, a very ascetic group. Group of Jewish men and women in a community known as the Ensignes, which there's some, some reason to believe that John came from that group, the language and uh, his style. You have small business owners, you have widows, you have folks who are uh, experiencing a crushing poverty, you have folks who are blind, uh, you have various people in the Jewish community for different intensities of belief. Um, you, and on top of that, in the middle of that, there, there's this Greek culture. Um, and then if you put an H on that map of Israel, you have three major highways, international trade routes, that go right through Israel. One cutting it in half, and two in slices. And so Israel, in that time, was really at the, at the center of civilization. It was almost the focal point of the globe. People came through it, passed it, and, and for the first time, you have a universal language in the history of humanity. You have, you know, Greek, right? And then you have ability to travel rapidly with some sort of order in the large Roman Empire, most of Northern Africa, parts of Europe, right? Some of you, Western Civ one, and, um, uh, and, and then the Pax Romana, the iron fist of, of Rome, keeping order. So for if, if there was an opportunity to maximally impact a message and get it to move, this was the time. All right. So, but about 100 years, 150 years after this map, there's an area that becomes known as Corsi. Now, some of you who are, you know, you call yourself God followers or Jesus people, okay? And those of you who don't, there were occasionally meetings where church leaders would get together to discuss what's happening in their churches and how to best care for people, all right? Understand people are beginning to lose their life for this message, And so it had to be discussed and determined, what is it that we truly believe? Because people are beginning to to lose their citizenship, their property, their families are being separated, they're sold into slavery, they're being eaten by tigers, lions and bears, oh my, and and, and all sorts of, uh, you know, there's a lot of bad things happening. now it's beginning to really cost to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So what do we actually believe? What's interesting about some of these synods is that you can find the attendance of who was actually there. There was a guy, a bishop from the area of Corsi, which is what the Decapolis was renamed. Okay, now here's why this is interesting to me. Who was there first? If there's a bishop, that means there must have been a a number of smaller Christian communities in this area. right? So my first thought is, well, which one of the apostles, traditionally, or who, what significant individual went there, and let's say... Developed or spoke the message of Jesus to the point that within 100, 150 years, there must be a bishop to help oversee all the other pastors of smaller communities that were meeting in homes and perhaps small buildings at that point. Okay? Because, by the way, because church buildings, that's a Greek idea that we took. Okay, so, back to this. There isn't one. There's no tradition. There's no story. There's no apostle. There's nobody that goes there. So... We're forced to go to the scriptures, as it were, to see what happened where and who was the person that developed this area. And this is why, it's, this is one of my favorite stories because of the surprise that I found. So the first place I'm going to take you is Mark chapter 8, verse 1. And here's what it says. During those days, a large crowd gathered, since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, hey, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me. Three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Now, I want to stop here. Just first thought. God cares for each of us holistically. Occasionally, I think we think in terms of, you know, I'm just trying to get him not to be mad at me when he cares about you completely and holistically, your, your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, your mental, your spiritual well-being, all right? His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough food to feed them? Now, by the way, what's funny to me about this, this is a few months after the feeding of the 5,000. So it's not as if they were the sharpest tools in the shed either. Okay? Just like us. You know, we go through sometimes the same thing over and over again. So Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? And he, Jesus asked, and they said, seven, they replied. Well, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks to them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. Having sent them away, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of this, that city there. Okay. 4,000. Some of you who are students of the scripture or you maybe remember it from other churches, the stories. There's a story about feeding 4,000. This is it. And there's a story about feeding 5,000, which is different. The 5,000 is in northern Israel, right? Um, this is, going to, I'm going to show you in a moment, this is the Decapolis. He's feeding Greeks. Now, see, the, my, my first question comes is okay, why would this highly sophisticated urban culture come out to see this itinerant rabbi? Because you have to feel how much the Greeks looked down upon the Jewish culture in many, many ways. I mean, they have an invisible god of the desert. I mean, our gods you can see, they look pretty nice. You know, We don't like wonders, we have others. You guys won't even draw your God. Let alone make a statue to him. And, and so the culture was not as developed or as sophisticated. It certainly wasn't to the Greeks. So these folks came out to listen to him. Well, okay, so you go back a little bit and go back to chapter 7, verse uh, 31. So Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis. So he specifically leaves the north goes through sort of the, the Philistine, old Philistine area, cuts across the lake, and goes through the Decapolis. Now, you have to feel, to a degree, this rabbi was such a decent, honorable man to his followers, that when he said, let's go to the Decapolis, that's like saying, um, I mean, th- let's go to a really kind of a seedy, how many of you guys know San Francisco? Let's go to the Tenderloin. Oh, yeah, yeah, right now. By the way, there's good tacos there. On our wedding anniversary, that's where I took my wife, the tenderloin, to get tacos. Because I know how to treat a lady. And so now he goes into this area, and it says here in verse 32 there were some people who brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. So after he took uh, took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh. He said, epatra, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them, you know, let's keep this on the down and L, you know, the D and L, down and low. Don't tell anybody. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. So apparently they were in junior high school. And, and so, uh, verse 37, people were overwhelmed with amazement. And they said, he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Then you go to chapter 8, you see, oh, during those days. So where is he? He's in the Decapolis. He's in this Greek area. So he's spending time there. And by the way, when they said this, verse 37, he does everything well. That's such a Greek way of speaking. Order, cleanliness. You know, this, it wasn't like he's such a godly man, it's, he does everything well. Very Greek way of talking. Still, you have to wonder when he went there, why would they bring anyone to him in the first place? He's just another Jewish guy, right? You know, 5'7, tanned, probably muscular, having worked with his body for the first 30 plus years of his life. There's this crazy dude with the big, nutty eyes, you know, the, the, the zealot. There was a guy with the sleeve things and the green visor, Matthew the accountant. Um, people that smelled a little raw, the fisherman. John maybe would have been a little bit younger. Kind of a shifty looking character, Judas. <laughs> Holding a bag of money. Why would they bring anybody to him? I mean, it almost makes you think that someone heard of him before. See, the thing is I found out is that someone had. There was actually a person who had spent a year talking about jesus in these ten cities it's almost as if someone said to you i want you to go to pico santa fe springs norwalk bell bellflower and uh, you know southgate and tell people about jesus you know uh no i mean you know can i email right, send a text put up a Facebook page. (laughs) So this, to me, I would think this was an extraordinary individual. A gifted man or woman. um, Ability to speak well or at least persuade or communicate. Certainly must have had some theological training, spent some significant time with Jesus to be capable of going to a foreign culture, at least to the Jews, to explain who Jesus was, the truth and the reality of who this guy was. Right? I mean, doesn't that sound reasonable? So I I want you to meet him. Let's go to chapter 5, verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the capitalists how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is about a year, year and a half before chapter 7 and 8. Now, Last week, we finished a series where we talked about legacy and leaving a mark. And I mentioned to you that you you don't have to be a religious person. You're going to leave a mark. You're going to leave something behind, good or bad, because of the life you lived. Because you're here now, because of your life, you are leaving a mark on the lives of other people in your community and your family. Period. And... Some of you who are your late teens or early 20s, in many cases, you're probably at that stage where you don't want to be like your parents. Or what you see is mostly what they did wrong. My kids never went through that, of course, but some of you are experiencing that with your parents. As you get older, time and your age will help you to become a little bit kinder and recognize they were broken like you are. And you'll be able to maybe process them differently. But you're going to go through that. That's, some of you will be longer, some of you will be shorter. But it's not too untypical, right? This, um, in this particular situation, some of us have forget that we are the result of everybody's life in us. Even if you say, I don't want to be like them. Have, have you ever gone, <laughs> especially when you move out and you go back for holidays, you think, did I come from these people? Have you wondered if you were adopted? My, my middle son is, um, when he was born, he was blonde and blue-eyed. And my wife's as Hispanic as I am. So, of course, I look at her suspiciously. <laughs> what happened here, Miss Barbosa? <laughs> I'm your wife. <laughs> well, I don't know. Michael's hair finally darkened a little, but... Um, my father was very fair-skinned, also, but um, he used to always wonder if we had adopted him because we all were black hair and brown eyes and wore glasses, and he was blue-eyed, toe-head, and had the gift of vision, you know. And uh. but some of you, you go home and you wonder, how did I come from this family? How did I, how did I come from these people, these barbarians, these Philistines, these uncouth, unable to use utensils, hillbilly hicks from? Who knows where, you know, and, and you just, because you're different, right? But you still carry their genes, their DNA in you. And sometimes you're going to have your kids, you're gonna, they're going to pop up like your parents. No, you know. So this particular person was a, was a man who was extremely untalented. He was extremely not equipped for this moment, this job he got. And the, the reality is, is that this is the life that he was given, was to share his life with others. Just really, I almost envy this guy to a degree, because he only has one talk he has to give over and over again. So I want you to um, have a little fuller understanding of who this fellow is, because some of you are going to be surprised to see who he is. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 35 of Mark. The day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Just as he was in the boat, there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over and, uh, over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, saying, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And, you know, you have to hear the shouting and the water and wind and, you know, and they're, you know wake up. And, and he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why were you afraid? Well, because it was waning really, really hard. And uh, it, don't you have any faith? And, and, and they were amazed. They were, awesome, you're our guy. No, they were terrified. And they asked each other, well, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, uh, let me give you a little context. For Jewish culture, the water is never good news. They make a lot of their life from fishing, but but they're not a seagoing people. In fact, the waters often represent trouble. It's often evil in their estimation and their understanding. When you read the poetry, the blogs, the postings of David... Very emo journaling, right? I'm so down. I don't understand why life's bad. You know. <laughs> Dring, one chord. <laughs> uh, nah, 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 nah. Um, he starts off, he'll, he'll sometimes explain some of his troubles as the many waters coming over him. At the book of Revelation, at the end, when people talk about how great things are going to be, what are the, one of the things they mention? No more seas. So Jesus is at... This lake, and, and by the way, if you're still looking in your maps, if you still have it, you're going to see this area, the this, this, uh, this Sea of Galilee, is, has the cities that we're going to talk about right at the edge, the southeastern corner. The Jewish rabbi says, let's go over to the other side. Let's go over to the seedy part of Israel. Let's go over where, uh, you know, it's uncomfortable for most people, like us. And so they're going, and, and of course... The water storm kicks up. They have the idea of storm gods from the Old Testament, Baal and the others. And so I'm sure they're thinking, yeah, this is what we get. We shouldn't be coming here. And so they, they in a panic, you know, there's all the, you know, that was wind, by the way, all the wind and the water. They wake up Jesus because they have to shake him awake, right? And he's you know, out and then he wakes up and he says, oh, dude, the, the water, the wave. And oh, yeah. He actually speaks to it in the Greek. He's speaking to it like a person. Okay, that's the tone. Now they hear that. And then the most creepy thing happens. It obeys him and stops. And I love this scene where they were all panicked and freaked out. all of a sudden, it's very calm. And they're dripping water. And he turns to them and says, why were you afraid? And like, I really don't know why we were anymore. And... Wow, and, and then they realize this guy is something like they have never understood and he's so completely unlike them. And they were uncomfortable in his presence and they were uncomfortable with him. All right? So they get to the, they get to the other side. On the other side is Decapolis. They land and things get weirder. Chapter 5, they went across the lake into the region of Geterines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Okay boy, you have to feel the, the mess and the chaos this guy's life is. I don't know how you picture the most disheveled, broken, chaotic life, maybe of a homeless person that you've met that has also been violent. So you have to picture the guy with filthy, broken nails and fungus and, and his own filth and uh, the matted beard and grass and dirty hair and unkept, untended to wounds, malnutrition, dehydrated, so chapped lips, uh, uh, probably jaundiced and uh, exposed to the elements, so either either sunburned and skin very damaged. The, the guy is a walking wreck, and he's violent. And when, when they land on the on the shore, this guy who lived among death, for a Jewish man and or a woman, they, you, we can't be around you because you make us unclean. We won't be able to connect to God. He rushes them. Now, if you were the other disciples, wouldn't you have gotten back in the boat? Okay, well we're done. Uh, we've seen it. Um, we're good. <laughs> and he rushes Jesus. This is a very chaotic scene. All right. And some of you have also been cutters, or you know somebody who has. And you know, at some level, there's. You know, some of my story. I, I mean, I put myself in a hospital doing that with self injury, so I feel that. I remember that moment, thinking I am so, you know, wrapped up in my emotional pain. Maybe if I inflict some physical pain. Um, I'll take my mind off what's going on in my mind in hindsight it wasn't a strategy that was very effective <laughs> but at the time it made sense to me and so when I see this man hearing about him how many of you have ever been hooked up by, by an officer just for your own safety or his you've been put in submission anybody willing to admit it okay a lot of you liars or cowards at any anyway, rate so I have and, and so they, they're uncomfortable when you're hooked up or sometimes you've been trying to break out of a rope or something, and, and you, know, you get like leave the mark. This person broke chains off. So you, it had to tear of flesh, maybe down to the bone. So there's a lot of mess, you follow? He's, he's tore up. And so I think when I hear this person who would then take other stones to cut himself with, it's not because he's insane. It's because he's having moments of sanity and clarity, and he hates who he has become and what he is. All right? And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now, I'm not even sure how to process this scene for you. Maybe you see it as a profile. Maybe you see it from the POV of Jesus. Maybe you see it from the POV of the of the insane man. Where are the disciples? Where, who Who else is around there? This is, it's on a beach or lake. Let's say the, the beach of a, of a lake, right? Lakeshore and... Um, Whatever this man is, is also processing, it, it is not, he is no longer under his own volition of his own control. Now this is where the story begins to get a little bit weird, like, like it hasn't already. But see, whether you understand this or accept it that there are malevolent spiritual beings that wish to humiliate you, harm you, and destroy you, it, it won't make a difference if it's really true or not. If they're really there, whether or not you think they're there, they're still there. We follow? I tend to think they're still there, and I can demonstrate to you in a way why I think so, because some of you hear their voices. You've heard it, those moments when they tell you, you're nothing. You're always this failure. When people have hurt you in a weird sexual way or in an abusive physical way, some of those voices told you you had that coming and deserved it. Other voices have told you how you are a failure, you'll never amount to anything, and what's even worse is sometimes those voices take on the voice of your family, your parents, and even more deceptively and more insidiously evil, it even sounds like you. And so, I'm I'm just trying to point out to you that you already are experiencing this at some level. You cannot not. You, you are primarily spiritual beings that have a physical experience. So Jesus, in this particular case with this individual, it's gone beyond just voices. It's, it's now taking over his ability to even manage his life in a healthy way. And it, it's beginning to cross over where maybe some of you have been or are where you're at the point where even when somebody wants to reach out to you in a healthy way, or in a kind way, you're so broken you can't even accept it. You actually prefer abuse or unhealthy relationships to ones that are healthy. You know, when you're little and you like chocolate more than you like vegetables, because you just you know haven't developed a taste for vegetables yet. Some of you never do, and that's okay, right? But but you know, you haven't even developed a taste for anything healthy because you're that damaged. In fact, you're that so much. To the point that you even prefer to be alone than in healthy relationships. Because you're just just not able to handle that. It's it's almost, um, those of you who played sports, I've only heard about this. Um, You know when you're injured? I used to pole vault, actually. I was used as the pole. I I was, uh, (laughs) do you know that I was 40 pounds lighter when I married Lilia? I was like Jack Skellington. Yeah, I remember when I went in for x-rays, they would just put a light bulb behind me to see everything going on. Okay. I sprained my ankles five times because we didn't have nice cushy mats to land on. We were men when we pole vaulted. And, uh, and, and so even when you, if you injured yourself, you know, the first thing you happen you want to protect it from re-injury, right? And the lack of use causes it to heal. But even when you want to use it correctly, it hurts at first. And that is a great metaphor when Paul uses the body for our souls and our spiritual and our emotional life. When you've been injured and hurt, you want to protect yourself from being hurt again. And the lack of use causes it to be unused and and stiffen up and not able to be used again. But when you first try, because it hurts, you don't want to do it anymore. So verse 9, Jesus asks him, what's your name? My name is Legion. He says, for we are many. Boy, this would have been a great special effect movie. You know, it would have been cold air coming out like, out of, like in uh, the sixth sense you know would have been I don't know creepy eyes go green when he talks um, or worse would it have just been a normal voice speaking and see this is why this is the difference between legacy and legion and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area I have no idea what that means, but isn't that kind of strange? We like this area. This is our barrio, our hood, my trailer park, depending on what ethnic background you are. Um, I don't even know how to process that. And there's a conversation going on that Jesus is having with this spiritual being, apart from the person's physical consciousness. A large herd of pigs were feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 200 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. There are some religious um, groups at this time where the pig is just as a significant animal as the lamb was to Jewish culture. This is not; These are not Jewish people here in the Decapolis. These are Greeks. And so there were pig tenders or herders, bacon watchers. I don't know what you call them, you know. And they're there, and some people think, oh, there must have been 200 demons. There could have been just two, right, or five, and, you know, stampede. So something happens, and again, I don't know how you imagine this leaving, you know, green pea, vomiting, convulsing every creepy movie you've seen in a horror film and something leaves this person, heads into these animals, they charge and they go, you know, the squealing and the screeching and some of them plop into the water and the panic of, because I know pigs can't fly or swim. And so, so there's, there's that and, and there was all that noise. Now again, where are the disciples? <laughs> I don't want to be here. You know, this is really odd. Where's the guy? I'd imagine collapsed out of exhaustion. And so all that... And now you're the, you're the guy that, was, that owned the pigs. What are you thinking? There, there goes my economic, you know, life and my spiritual... You know, so, and this guy causes all this, right? So you, now you feel the scene a little bit more? Now, let me, let me go on with the story because, again, this is my favorite story in the Scripture. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside now if another gospel mentions they go to gadadara if you look at that map gadadara is five to six miles out from the shoreline two three hours one way two three hours back five hour six hour round round trip okay in that time so you have between uh verse 14 and 15 about five six hours uh, verse 15, when, the, when they came to Jesus, when they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting, dressed, in his right mind. And the reason why I love this story is that you have, you have to understand, I, I have been a guest of three of our government's public housing projects. There was Ventura County Jail, there was Parker Center and Holabek Station, which has been remodeled, but back in the day it was really nasty. <laughs> Most of the time, There was a misunderstanding, you know, there was... And I've noticed that most officers are not very funny people. They don't like to be poked. They don't like to be pushed. You know, they can't take a joke. I'm surprised I didn't get shot somewhere. I remember thinking I was going to draw on somebody once, and there were two deputies. What an idiot. So I've been a guest... The point is that I remember thinking when my life kind of came together finally, that when my parents were beginning to deal with me, they were just like, oh my gosh, he's dressed, <laughs> sitting, and in his right mind, you know? And the reaction of the people. And, and so you have to, okay, so they come and they see this going on, and he's talking to Jesus, and over in the lake and washed up on the shore are what? The bloated bodies of drowned pigs. And it's been five, six hours. Same latitude as Los Angeles. So it's starting to get a little, smell like bacon. And there's the floating and washed up and the guy and, and Jesus and, and they go, oh, awesome, you're here to help us. And they, they, we're going to read in the story, they tell him to go away. But here's my first question. This guy lived among the tombs. He was filthy on multiple levels. He's Greek, he's foreign. Who's the first person you think touched him? Yeah, I mean, right. This is Sunday school, right? Of course, Jesus. I mean, that's I'm filling in the gaps. He had wounds that had to be taken care of, hair that had to be washed and combed. He had to be fed and hydrated, and someone had to clean his filth, put clothes on him, and and then he has a one-on-one with Jesus. You know how there's some people that when you spend time with them, you walk away feeling a little bit better? You feel like a little bit smarter? You can't wait to tell somebody what they just told you, so you sound smart too? So they have a one-on-one with Jesus where he speaks directly into his, into his soul and answers the questions and begins to unlock and, and, and he's breathing in and he's alive and he's sane. So I, I just always imagine the hair slicked back, kind of a mullet sort of thing going on back here, and, you know, but plastered up in the front. So, you know, business up front, party in the back and um, bandages all over his body, clean, you know, still some Very recent wounds. So, verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, told all about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. So it wasn't just this one time, it was just pleading, asking, let me go. No. Now, see, this is where it almost seems that Jesus is kind of cold, let me go with you no for the first time somebody's helped you let me go with you no uh, yeah, yeah no and I'm sure when they said you know the other Greek individuals can okay, you guys get get out of here the disciples are like okay we're, done. Yeah, we've, we're good we've, we've done Decapolis we've got a hat t-shirt I love Decapolis <laughs> got Decapolis wooden toys we're good and so the guy picks up thinking he's going to go with them and see I know some of you have experienced Christ in a very significant powerful way that's locked into your heads in a certain geography or time and so when you think that it's time for you to oh, whether it's a person you experienced it through or a moment in a group if wherever that group or that person goes you want to go with them as well because that's that's the only place you could experience God as significantly as you did Understand that many times you were meant to experience it to actually deliver somewhere else. And this is what's going to happen to this man. Now, if this was a movie and I was filming it, Jesus would have brought him close. There would have been a tight shot of his mouth into the man's ear. And he would have said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. You know, um, in Mosaic, we have a language of such big dreams and projects that occasionally it seems so overwhelming that some of you, I think, are, by, by default, you're frozen. You've done your strengths your myers-briggs you've been to a yellow conference you're on volunteer staff and you have no idea what to do and i also mentioned earlier that sometimes the 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 very people that have left the biggest mark on your lives you're trying to get away from your family so let me give you a few closing thoughts and we're going to dismiss sometimes the most significant thing that you do is not the large thing it's the immediate it's, it's huge things like forgiveness. It's huge things like maybe letting go of bitterness. Because see, these things begin to be toxic to your soul and they begin to shrivel like a raisin and, and you're not able to grow and thrive. Um, I, I'm certain that even now that some of you are already having memories or images of people, dad, mom. And they could be alive or dead, by the way. That are coming to your head, brother, sister, uncle, people that... Have, really have let you down or have really hurt you. And you, what? you wouldn't even have a right to be angry with them. But a right to, have, to carry a certain emotion doesn't mean it's healthy for you. And if God is asking you or, or, or wanting to have your soul thrive and to grow, it's not a command just because he, you know, he's, he's, he's the big guy in the sky, he can force you to do it. It's because he wants you to let go of something that's actually killing you and the very thing you think you're doing, I don't want to be like them, I don't want, I have nothing to do with them, and you actually put distance between you and them, emotionally or geographically. That's why some of you actually moved to Biola so that you wouldn't have to live with them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you left one crazy set of people for another crazy set, right? How many of you guys have roommates? You go, oh man, I was better at home. Um, um, I understand that. I do. You know the... You know the people that you have the less credibility with? It's your family, isn't it? And I, I, here's what I mean. You know what an expert is, right? An expert is anybody from out of town with a briefcase. But maybe the most significant thing that happens in your life, those of you who are, who are, are you know, you're entering a new academic year, some of you are, are not, not in college, whatever it might be, I think maybe the one place to start when you kind of wonder, why, why do I have crummy relationships? Why do I seem to have a certain pattern of things why, why does certain things not seem to work for me on a regular basis it could be a career thing school thing relational thing go back to square one is it something that maybe you need to look at yourself with your own family to be released from and, and, and don't be surprised at the answer and if you want to thrive and experience Christ in a very vibrant dynamic way it might be something as simple as being able to tell your dad you know what I'm sorry, I was a jerk. I wasn't at my best, and I know you were trying. Second thing: some of you might find yourself in your journey with Christ leave a, a, a community that meant so much to you. The one thing I love about in my role that I have is that I get to meet people that I begin to really care for and love. The downside is is that I care and love for you, love you, and then you leave. You know, it's like well, no, you have to stay. You know, and, and don't be afraid of where the journey might take you. And in some cases, some of you have the opposite issue with your family and parents. They speak so much into your life that you think that they're the voice of God. Now, this is not a call to uh, be disrespectful or or, or, or not have some kind of input. there, there, There could be wisdom there from your parents, but understand, in the end, they're not the people you answer to when you become an adult. You have to hear from God as to where your life should be and where you're supposed to go you have a father in heaven who cares for you incredibly, so for you. It is that voice, that audience, that applause, that approval that you, that you want to seek in the end. And sometimes your immediate family won't get it. Finally, you never know where your story is going to end. We had an opportunity to uh, be with a family that, who lost an individual this past week and and in being there in, that, in the viewing and the services, it was seeing the legacy this woman left behind. It reminded me again that all of you at this young age, whether you're older, you're leaving something behind. What do you want to leave behind? So you, you, this is the one thing you get to define. You don't get to define or, or uh, control when you're born or when you'll leave. You just get to control what you do at the time that you have. What is the mark you're going to leave behind? Each of you are the result of somebody else's prayer, somebody else's spiritual heritage, somebody else's legacy. You know, hopefully, what you'll leave behind is the stories and other remembrances like, gosh, I remember when so and so did this. Pray for me here. Here's what they taught me. Here's what they showed me. What's the mark you're leaving behind? This guy's life, I'm sure he thought, you know, I I just would have loved to have heard these stories. Remember the guy in the tomb? Yeah, that was me. No, it wasn't. Yeah, look at the scars. And this is what God did for me. See, sometimes you don't have to be that clever. I'm proof. You don't have to be clever. You just have to be able to tell your story and let Christ live through you. All right, let me dismiss you guys. Father, thank you for, for being good to us and loving us. And what I do pray is you help us to live out our lives with our immediate communities, our families, um, our spiritual families, our physical families. Help us to experience your healing in a way that we can share and articulate with others. And help us not be afraid of whatever you would ask us to do with our stories and our lives. Knowing that our legacy continues after we're gone and and our stories will continue to be written in the lives of other people after we're gone. So thank you for forgiveness of our crimes and, and letting you experience you. And what I pray for those who are here that perhaps are disconnected or feeling disconnected from you, is that they would learn to step forward and just ask you to please, come into their lives, change them and start a new one. It's in your son's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.